For in all reason, all government without the consent of the governed is the very definition of slavery. Jonathan Swift Hello and welcome to part 5 of the Essence of Anarchy series. In the last instalment, I proposed that the state is an institution rooted in coercive practices. Over the next several episodes, I'm going to examine some of the core services states provide to see if we can spot the corrosive effects of coercion within them. Essentially, I'll be asking whether governments also possess Tony Soprano's Midas Touch in reverse. Before we get into that, however, I want to be crystal clear about what I am and am not claiming. I am claiming that governments as we know them are based upon coercion. I am not claiming all institutions that we could consider to be in any way government-like must be inherently coercive. Neither am I claiming that there could be no such thing as a consensual government. I must emphasise this point as I feel an absence of clarity here gives rise to no end of needless confusion and conflict when it comes to discussing anarchism. Because governments are overwhelmingly coercive, and anarchy essentially means no coercion, it is a simple leap to assert that anarchy must therefore mean no government. If we can demonstrate that institutions we would recognise as being government-like could operate consensually, then it would be no contradiction to speak of anarchic governments, strange as that may sound. The importance of this point is to recognise that arguments over whether this or that service will be better provided in a government or more market-like manner, whilst important, have no direct bearing on anarchism. Anarchy only concerns itself with the question of consent. An additional reason why I'm bringing this up prior to examining state services, is that if I'm going to critique those services, it's important to have a sense of what an alternative system might be. I will now attempt to sketch that out by asking, what would a legitimate government look like? My answer, quite simply, is that it would be any governmental body that acquires the consent of all those it governs. Let's utilise a thought experiment to explore this further. Let's bring back Bob from part two of this series. Now, instead of a piece of driftwood, imagine Bob acquiring a plot of land. He could do this either by directly labouring on unowned land, or by purchasing the land from someone who already has. Bob now hires a construction company to build an apartment block on his land. He builds 100 flats, which he proceeds to sell off individually. All good so far. Whilst each apartment is owned by an individual or a couple who can determine how it is decorated, etc., obviously there are also communal issues to address. The public areas of the building will need cleaning, the outside windows washing, and every 20 years major money will need to be spent on roof repairs. There are also communal issues regarding residence conduct, which will no doubt arise. People playing loud music or leaving rubbish in the corridors. 
these issues will all require some sort of governance to sort out. This governance could take many different forms. Bob may draft a contract that each person who purchases an apartment is required to sign. The contract could stipulate an obligation to pay into a maintenance fund. The fund may work differently depending on the residence. In some buildings, residents may prefer hiring cleaners for the communal areas. In others, residents may prefer a cleaning rotor. The point is that it would obviously be inefficient for everyone to hire an individual cleaner to do their allocated section of the communal area. Or worse, everyone to hire their own window cleaner. Bob's contract may stipulate that the fund and other issues would be administered by himself, acting as a manager, or maybe he steps away and leaves a democratically elected body of residents to take charge. So here we have what looks like a government, potentially a democratic one at that. We can stretch this further and imagine other communal tasks this government may administer. Fire protection, building security, the regulation of potentially dangerous electrical goods, all these come to mind. There are other areas where, for the most part, it would seem inefficient to transfer responsibility from the apartment owner to the government. For obvious reasons, residents would want to buy their own food and not have the government purchase it collectively. Residents would probably also value freedom of choice when it comes to raising and educating their children. Other areas may be grey. It might be good to have designated first aiders in the building, but residents will surely want to make their own long-term healthcare choices. Essentially, Making decisions collectively can be more efficient, but it comes at the cost of individual choice. This is just fine if we are talking about arranging window cleaners. We are surely happy to exchange choice for efficiency here. By contrast, most of us wouldn't want our reading choices to be collectivised, just so we could get a better deal on the purchase of books. I am then defining a government-like model as one where choices are collectivised in contrast to a market-like model where they are left at the level of the individual. Now imagine if instead of building an apartment block, Bob had constructed a housing estate. The corridors would be the equivalent of the roads, which would also require collective maintenance. If this estate had 5,000 houses, areas zoned for shops, security guards, a fire service, you can see how the administration of all this would constitute a very small government. So is this government legitimate? My answer is yes, for two reasons. Firstly, Bob legitimately owns the land upon which he's setting the rules. Secondly, the people Bob sets the rules for freely consent to them they choose to come and live in his apartment block. In purchasing one of Bob's apartments, residents are consenting to his rules. Should they transfer their apartment onto someone else, either by sale or inheritance, the rules follow the property. This is in contrast to a typical state, which can make no claim to legitimately own the land upon which it sets the rules, and does not seek the consent of those it then imposes those rules upon. 
Let's now look at some of the practical differences that arise when government is consensual. The major implication of this legitimate government is that it places crucial constraints on Bob's governing power. He can't build apartment blocks on land he doesn't own, and he has no right to set rules in blocks he didn't build. Bob is restricted by being required to operate in a consensual manner. It is exceedingly unlikely that he will ever be able to own an area of land equivalent in size to even the world's smallest country. If things do go wrong, and a resident does have a serious falling out with Bob, they will not have to move a thousand miles to escape him. There are, however, additional factors which restrain Bob, or the building's governing body, from acting tyrannically. If conditions start making residents unhappy, they can leave. This, coupled with the bad reputation the block may acquire, will act to force property prices down. Given that Bob and all the people in government are stakeholders in the property, they are certainly incentivized against ill behaviour. By contrast, people working for coercive governments are not stakeholders in their countries in the same direct manner. If they act badly and hurt the people they rule, economically or otherwise, they will not personally be affected by this to anything like the same extent. Whilst the requirement to acquire property legitimately places a strong limit on the power of consensual governments, ironically it might also liberate them to be far more powerful in certain areas. We want governments to protect us from crime, yet we also seek to restrict their power. We are rightly afraid of granting such power to an entity already practically almighty. Consensual government ameliorates this problem. A less powerful entity can take on more authority without it posing a serious threat to our liberty. So in this episode, I've intended to provide an outline of what government by consent looks like. We will be revisiting some of the points raised here as we go on to look at the services our coercive governments provide. And that's where we'll be going next time, starting of education. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join me again.